Welcome to the Who's Hooping Podcast, hosted by Sean Crow and Kari Williams, where we discuss all things UVA men's basketball. We look forward to breaking down the current team, what's to come in the future, as well as some of our favorite and toughest Wahoo moments. We plan to give you guys the content you love to hear, whether you're a diehard fan that's been around forever, or you just found out about the team this past week. So stick around, lay back, and listen to two average guys tell you all about it. Welcome back to season one, episode five of the Who's Hoopin' podcast. I am Sean Crow, joined by my co-host, Kari Williams. Kari, I know it's been longer than we had hoped since we last did this, but how's everything been going? Doing good, man. You know, it's been a solid January, dry January. So since I last saw you, I've, you know, done my month of no alcohol. So we're almost towards the end of it. So it's a good alcoholist, but also podcastless month for us. There you go. You'll be you'll be due for a celebratory drink next week, I guess. Um, but yeah, a lot has happened since the last time we did one of these. I think the last time we put a podcast out was right at the new year. So I think it was actually the Georgia Tech game, which was a pretty comfortable victory for us. But since then, I guess we've obviously missed like seven games since we did a podcast. So just catching up where we left off. We're uh, six and one in that span and actually on a six game winning streak. Um, there's kind of been a lot that has changed, a lot of new interesting developments with the team. Um, but right now we stand at eight and two in the ACC, which is good for second place behind Clemson, uh, 16 and three overall. We're at a bit of a crowded part in the standings where we're, we're right on Clemson's heels, but we've also got Pittsburgh, uh, North Carolina, NC State, and Miami kind of all right on our heels. So it's a, it's a pretty crowded picture in the ACC right now. So, I guess, uh, Kari, in this sort of seven-game span, what are some things that you saw um, and how are you feeling about where we are right now in this season? Feeling great. I mean, honestly, looking at that seven-game span, I think after the pit loss, everyone was in disarray. We were 2-2 two and two in the ACC. We pretty much choked away the end of that Pittsburgh game and let them steal that one from us easily. Um, I think that was probably the low point of this just season, honestly, for me. But since then – we really figured it out. Some great wins against Syracuse, an awesome victory against UNC, uh, beating our rivals in Virginia Tech, and then a quality road win against Wake Forest that ended up being, I believe, still sits at a quad one victory. So um, they've really gotten it together. I know we're going to get into a bit more of the lineups and how the roster is currently shaping out. But overall, over these last seven games, really positive trends. If you tell me that this is how we're going to keep trends going for the remaining 10 games, then I'd be a really happy fan. So all up. All's well that ends well for me so far. Would definitely have to agree. And let, let's talk a little bit more about uh, some of those interesting trends that we've seen. So we've got a lot more small ball recently. I would say that kind of started in the UNC game when Armando Baycott went out and we were actually kind of struggling against UNC without Armando Baycott for, you know, the first into the early part of the second half of that game. Uh, and really kind of from that point forward, uh, we've played a lot more small ball and kind of what we've seen is uh, Caden Shedrick's playing time has diminished. He hasn't started a game in quite some time now. Uh, ben Vanderplaz has slid into the starting lineup at his spot. So kind of the, the five that we've been going with lately to start the games at least have been still Reese, uh, Kihei and Armand in the backcourt um, and then Vanderplaz and Gardner in the frontcourt. 
Um, so that's kind of been the starting five as of late. Uh, Ryan Dunn is kind of seeing his role increase. He's been a really versatile defender for us. He's kind of coming along offensively as well, but I would say right now he's most valuable as a defensive piece um, that so many good Tony Bennett teams, a uh, key part of that defense has been a, a really switchable and versatile forward, and I think that's what Ryan Dunn has been giving us. Um, so, Corey, what do you kind of make of – of the, the recent kind of change in playing style and lineups. Do you think this is something that we're going to continue doing the rest of the year? Or do you think there's going to be a point where maybe Caden Shedrick starts to play some, some more and maybe regain his spot in the lineup? Yes. I think small ball has been really successful for us. To be known that Tony Bennett has been known to like tinker with his lineups. I feel like right around this point, it's always around like December or January where if you're seeing uh, younger players playing really well, you'll start to see some of the more experienced guys honestly lose minutes. We saw similar things like this with Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome during their first year starting to get a bit more minutes. I believe Nigel Johnson was in a similar spot where he started to get a few more cracks at the lineup. Uh, Trey Murphy. like There's there's a laundry list of players that have played at UVA recently under Tony Bennett that have right around this time of the year starting to get their um, minutes increased. So I think we'll ride it out as long as it's being beneficial for us. Um <clears throat> We've had some really good success with it. Uh, ben Vanderplaz, I think, has really benefited from these uh, just switches, being able to be more aggressive, play in a smaller lineup where he's able to just play a bit more freely, shoot more openly. And I think it's been awesome for him. But I think it also kind of comes in. If Ben Vanderplaz continues to play at a high-level performance, it's hard to keep him off the floor. But I think if he starts to struggle a little bit, you start to open the door for uh, Caden Shedrick to get back in there and really bring that defensive rim protection. Um, but I think what I'd love to see is a spark competition. I'd love to see Caden start to step up. Um, he had a really strong start to the beginning of the season. I think he was an awesome offensive threat, started to show a little bit of touch, being able to cut down on the foul trouble, Um and I think he's gotten away from it a little bit. So hopefully we can continue to see some uh, benefits from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess a few other things that we've seen with some of the other bench pieces is that Caffaro has played a pretty inconsistent role. His minutes are definitely down from what we saw last year. One thing I did think was interesting was in the Boston College game when Ben Vanderplaus picked up an early foul, they actually went to Caffaro. Uh, instead of Shedrick uh, right away. So that was interesting to see. Um, Isaac McNeely is also increasing his role and becoming more and more uh, confident and comfortable, I would say. Uh, I think he's, you know, his percentages are at a pretty good spot right now. He's shooting 42% from three, 73% from the free throw line, averaging over 21 minutes a game and averaging 6.6 points per game, which, you know, for a, for a bench player, in his freshman year, that's to me, that's all you can really ask for. So I, I've liked what I've seen from him as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess kind of big picture. Um, I feel like this is maybe not Tony Bennett's best defensive team, but some of the early season concerns we had about offensive inconsistency and poor three point shooting uh, have improved since we last recorded. So we're now up to 38% uh, as a team shooting from three which is certainly a pretty solid percentage that most people would take. We currently rank 18th in the country for adjusted offense and 25th in the country for adjusted defense. Um, so, yeah, Car, anything else you wanted to talk about before we kind of compare where we're at now to 
where we thought we might be at this point? Yeah, I mean, overall, as you mentioned, the shooting's been awesome. I was looking back at some of the box scores over the seven-game stretch, and only two of the games we've shot below 30%. Um, and even for those games where we shot below, we also factor in that some of these are blowouts. So, for example, um, Boston College, we shot 28 per- or 29% when you round up. Uh, but there was a few threes towards the end that were in those last few minutes. So if I shave off three of those, it's up to three, 33%. Um, the other game where we shot poorly from beyond the arc was, uh, well, actually, no, I think it was really only that game because Pittsburgh, we shot 43%. Syracuse from beyond the arc, we shot 46%. UNC, we shot um, <clears throat> 32%, which is the lowest so far. Florida State, even 50 on 10 or more makes. Uh, Virginia Tech, 8 of 23. So that's probably – we have a – we're hitting a lot of threes. Like, it's been really great to see. And one thing I know I harped on earlier in the season was the just balance of threes to total shots, and we've been finding a really good balance. We're not falling in love with three-pointers. We're sticking the open shots that we have. We're rebounding the ball much better, and we're just really running really, really good stuff. And, yeah, McNeely's been great. Ryan Dunn's been awesome. And you think about it uh, – we have two of our first years playing great, and we have two guys on the bench um, that aren't going to play this year that are continuing to get better. So it really gives UVA fans a lot of hope going forward into future seasons. And then for Kafaro, I know you mentioned he's been a bit inconsistent. I'm not 100% sure when he got back from injury because weren't there a few games during this stretch? I believe he was hurt at some point during the stretch, and I wasn't sure if it was a minor or like kind of medium-sized injury, but he might still be working his way back into like game health, but – Either way, can't complain with the rotation that we have. We've been playing really awesome and getting a lot out of our pieces, and everyone's really been stepping up to just provide whenever their number's called upon. Definitely. And, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see this uh, UNC rematch. I know we're still about a month away from that, but uh, when, we, when we have to go against, like, a top-tier big like Armando Baycott, I think that might be a game maybe where you see more Cafro or, or Shedrick um, in there, so – so, yeah, we'll definitely need those pieces going forward, even if they've been playing fewer minutes than they're used to lately. But, okay, so, yeah, that, that's all great. Um, so now we thought it would be good to compare where we're at to where Kari and I thought we would be uh, before our season with our preseason predictions. So, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, right now we're 8-2, and two, second place behind Clemson, 16-3 and three overall. So, Car, maybe I'll turn it over to you first, and you can kind of refresh the audience on what your preseason predictions were and maybe how the reality compares to that. Yeah, so as a reminder for everyone, to start the year, we had 30 games on the schedule, 10 of those being non-conference, 20 of those being ACC games. Um, for the non-conference, me and Sean both projected us to finish at 7-3. and three. Our first pod did go out after the essential game, so we did get one freebie. Uh, but we both projected for seven and three for the non-conference. And then uh, for ACC play, we, I projected us to finish 15 and five in the ACC. Sean projected 14 and six. So let's take a pause there. Um, Sean, I'll let you break down the non-conference first and how things went compared to our uh, both seven and three estimation for how the team was going to shake out. Yeah. So we ended up going eight and one because we, we lost the game due to cancellation, which was the Northern Iowa game. So our record, you know, doesn't line up because we played nine games instead of 10. Um, I think preseason, you know, I said that we would lose two of the four games against upper tier opponents. So 
between Baylor, Michigan, uh, Illinois, and Houston. Predicted that we would go two and two in those games. We ended up going three and one with the lone loss uh, coming at home against Houston. Um, Michigan maybe turned out to be not as quite as tough of an opponent as we expected. Uh, that being said, still not an easy game by any means going on the road, playing a top half of the league team in the Big Ten. Um, so, yeah, I think with Vegas, that was obviously a, a red-hot start to the season. And going 2-0 and there, I think even the most optimistic UVA fans would, would take that 10 times out of 10, obviously. Um, and then Houston, you know, that was a lo- probably one of the losses that I would have predicted as well. I don't think there's any shame in losing at home to the, at the time, five-ranked team in the country. I think right now they're the third-ranked team in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and really just kind of glad that we did get those uh, early tests against, you know, top-tier opponents. I think that has kind of probably led to us doing so well in ACC play is, is being tested early in the season. Um, I think I predicted in non-conference that we would have one maybe – head scratching loss and fortunately that did not happen probably our closest call was the home game against JMU where we only won 55 to 50 but that being said we lost that game last year at JMU so I'll definitely take the win even if it was a narrow one but it was good to see us avoid any um any kind of under performances that would be unexpected losses because in recent years you know there's been the San Francisco loss the JMU loss last year, the Navy loss. So there's been a few like that, and it was good to avoid one this year. So that's non-conference. So, Kari, I'll let you handle ACC play. Yeah, so for ACC play, uh, once again, I projected us to finish 15-5. and five. Sean projected 14-6. and six. And I'm pleased to say that 10 games through, um, we're pacing really well. Uh, right now, we are sitting at 82 in the conference. Those two losses coming at Miami, um, losing 66 to 64. Although the score is close, it makes it seem like it was a game that we could have won. And technically, it was. Uh, we thoroughly got our butts beat that game. And um, we're lucky the box score ended up being as close as it did. And then the Pittsburgh game um, was the second game that we lost. And that one was us choking one away. So ideally, UVA at this point should have been sitting at 9 and 1. But overall, 8 and 2 still. Really great. Uh, we won some games that, honestly, early season projections that I thought we would have potentially dropped. Um, looking back, Florida State, even before all their struggles, they still had a talented roster, and they're starting to get it together. They're still not winning all these games, but they're being extremely competitive. You're seeing the talent on the roster and what they could do. So the fact that we were able to win both games against Florida State I thought was huge. Us beating UNC has been super helpful. Uh, beating Tech – going on the road to Wake Forest and then at Wake Forest. So, so far, all the games that I expected us to win, we won so far. And the ones that I thought could be losses, we've done pretty well on. It's just two, well, excuse me, a lot. The unexpected were definitely at Miami and at Pittsburgh. No one expected Pittsburgh to be what it is so far this season. So, hats off to Jeff Capel on just getting a really good program um, together and figuring it out this season. And then Miami, they're always a tough one. So, that's a bit of a toss-up. But, yeah, overall, playing really well. We do still have some tough challenges remaining. We do have a game against Clemson still at UNC versus Duke versus NC State at Virginia Tech and then at Syracuse on Monday. So looking at the rest of our schedule, I do think that 15-5 and five is still very much in reach and honestly should be a – going to come a little hot on this one, but might be a disappointment in my opinion if we finish that 15-5. and five. Um 
the only game I really think that I could see us potentially dropping um, in a few of them, I think first Clemson, they've got a really tough team. Clemson is, a, is what I think is every coach's dream. And what I mean by that is you bring back your best player, you bring back some role players, you get a good transfer, and then everyone makes a monumental jump. We look at some of the Clemson numbers. Hunter Tyson has drastically increased his scoring, his rebounding. Chase Hunter on their side has done an awesome job with being able to score the ball really well this year, doubling. I think he's close to doubling his scoring figures from last year. So they just had a really good set of pieces. So we're playing to catch up with Clemson. I do think that a February 28th game against them at JPJ might end up being really, really decisive, if not um, important for who finishes in first for that uh, ACC crown since we do close up the season against Louisville. So Hopefully, knock on wood, we do not drop one of our two against Louisville. We shouldn't, but if we did, the world might, um, you know, explode. Yeah, no, you definitely agree with your analysis there. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel pretty confident that we will beat my 14-6 and six preseason projection. We do have a what I think is a very difficult stretch coming up with these next four games at Syracuse, at Virginia Tech, um, being the first two of those, and – I just have a feeling that Virginia Tech is going to go on a run somewhat similar to what they did last year. Uh, so far, their season some, seems to be playing out exactly how last year's did, where they had a pretty strong non-conference, uh, although maybe not against the strongest schedule, and then really had a, a rough losing streak to start ACC play. But I just feel that that is a, a talented team in Blacksburg that I think is definitely better than their record in ACC play currently. So I'd I'm kind of expecting a second-half run for them, similar to what we saw last year, where they ended up winning the ACC tournament and and making the NCAA tournament. Uh, all that to say that I think that that away game at Tech next weekend is going to be a tough one. Um, at Syracuse, never an easy place to play, but we, we are the better team, so hopefully that's a game that we'll win. And then the next two after that are at home, but NC State is definitely also better than most would have expected this year. And then Duke is still Duke. We we definitely have the better team than Duke this year, but you can never you can never count them out. So, um, yeah, I'd say maybe in, in the next four games, if we could go three and one, I would be happy. Other than that, I think at UNC is probably our most likely loss uh, remaining on the on the schedule. So I think I would probably say from this point forward, I would maybe expect us to finish seven and three and end up 15 and five in the ACC. And I know Carl, you said you might be a tad disappointed if we finish 15 and five, you know, yeah. I think we're, we're in a pretty lucky position where, where we can feel disappointed to say 15 and five. So um, I definitely, at this point, I'm expecting a top two, top three finish in the ACC. And I definitely think we have a good chance at finishing first. So that's kind of where I'm at with things. Fair points. And I think the big thing that worries me about 15 and 5, uh, when we did project 15 and 5 and 14 and 6, we're projecting UVA to finish um, second in the ACC. Um, the Hoos have done an awesome job this season, breathing back life into the team and really making the fans and everyone believers that a league title is definitely within reach and should be the expectation for this Virginia team. And the reason why 15 and 5, I mean, I said 15 and 3, I meant 15 and 5, but the reason why that bothers me is because um, we tweeted this from our account back on January 4th. Since 1968, no team has claimed a share of the ACC with more than four ACC losses 
except UEA one time back in 2007 when they won when they went 11 and five back when the ACC was 16 um, games in. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. At this point, when we tweeted this, we still had 16 games with the plays, a part of the uh, Pittsburgh loss panic. But I mean, it's still a crazy stat to see, though, over the over the course of 30 and a half. Wow, that was a weird way to say it. 35 years, almost like a decade and a half. So three and a half decades worth of time. Um, we've only really had one champion win with five losses in the ACC. All the rest have been four. And then who knows? Maybe five would be more common if everyone played 20 ACC games. A lot of those teams do have the benefit of a 16-game schedule, a few years of an 18-game schedule. So not as much um, competition being needed to play, but got to win these games. So hopefully 15-5 and five is still good enough to win the league. But just looking at Clemson's schedule, I mean – there's not much really left for them to drop either. They do play at UNC. They play at us. Four tough ones, but they do have Austin College. Um, they do play Miami at home, but I believe they, they've beaten – I didn't play Miami yet this season. So maybe 15-5 is a sweet spot. Um, but just with their schedule, they have Boston College, Louisville, Syracuse at home, Notre Dame at home. And they're a tough team. So really all they need is, I think, just one road win, whether that's against us, against NC State, against Louisville, against UNC, or even at home against Miami. Just like picking up one or two of those wins, I think, puts the pressure on us to really have to get that 16-4 and four finish to try to get a share of that ACC title. Yeah, maybe 16-4 maybe and four will end up being that sweet spot that we need to hit to, to win the ACC regular season title. I, I definitely think it's attainable. Even though I'm saying 15 and five, I'm hoping that that's maybe a maybe a cautious prediction to take. But but all in all, have to be happy with where we're at this part in the season. Um, I know we're not quite to March yet; still got over a month to go. But kind of circling back to our postseason predictions from the beginning of the year, I think Car, you had us maybe with the ceiling of a two seed, um, and I think I might have had us as a predicted four seed I believe in the NCAA tournament so I think mm-hmm. current current bracketology <laughs> predictions have us as a three seed and um you know I think with our record we are we are probably worthy of a two seed but with the overall perceived lack of top tier teams in the ACC this year I think that's probably what's making us a three seed currently um you know I might be a little bit biased but I do think that the ACC is a bit stronger this year than people are giving it credit for. Certainly the non-conference was a concern and that's kind of what's bringing the overall reputation of the, of the league down. But I do think that it's a pretty deep conference. I think, you know, teams like one through seven, one through eight are all, are all pretty solid teams. So um, I'd say the three seeds probably fair at this point, but uh, how are you feeling about where we'll end up Kari when all is said and done? Yeah, that's funny you bring up the ACC. It's like, oh, the ACC's having a down year. You look at bracketology, like any bracketologist, while you're looking at Joe Lenardi, Jerry Palms, like some of these other like uh, third parties that are doing it as well, too. Like, you always see seven ACC teams, maybe eight, like no less than six. So the Big 12 is always going to be the best basketball conference recently. I think they just have a dominant top half. But <clears throat> ACC is just really tough. So for us, I think our ceiling – it's got to be that two line. Um, looking at Jer- Joe Lenardi's recent bracketology, he has us as the number nine overall, so the number one three seed. Uh, looking at the two seeds right now, he has Texas, Arizona, Kansas, UCLA. 
out of the teams that I could see, it'd have to be either Kansas or Texas. And I know that sounds crazy. Those are both talented teams. Uh, Kansas, definitely. Texas, I think we are more talented than Texas, in my opinion. But, I mean, they also play in the Big 12. The other benefit of the Big 12 is that while it's great and it boosts your, like, metrics and things of that nature, it's also a bloodbath. Like, you don't make it through the Big 12 without, like, five, six conference losses because it's just a really, really tough place to play. So I think that'll end up seeing us creep up the uh, seed lines as the season goes on. Will it mean we're as battle-tested as the Big 12 come actual tournament play? Probably not. But for the purposes of saying where are we going to finish our season – I think two seed is definitely where things could happen. And then if they do continue to play well, we can start to have the conversation about a one line just maybe, but I don't see us passing Alabama. I don't see us passing Purdue. I don't see us passing Houston, especially that head-to-head loss in the conference they play in, probably leading to the losses. Uh, So realistically, I do think that for uh, that last one seed, that's probably the only thing that's at play right now is just – number four one seed yeah I'd, I'd say my expectations are pretty similar with yours I feel like if we have a strong end to the season I see us finishing as a two seed um, if we finish more maybe second or third in the ACC then it'll probably be a three seed is where I'm at I do think that we have exceeded my preseason expectation which was a four seed and I, I do feel that at a minimum we're deserving of a three seed right now but um it's exciting to be able to be in this good of a position where we can be so excited about March, even though it's not quite February yet. But um, yeah, Kari, I know you and I both have tickets to Greensboro for the NCAA tournament. Sure would be nice to see them end up there. We're also going to the Duke game in person and I might end up joining you down at the UNC away game. So definitely a lot for UVA fans to look forward to. Um, I think that's what we wanted to cover for that topic. And I think we were thinking of ending with a fun exercise of picking our all ACC teams at the midway point of league play. So, Kari, is there anything else you wanted to cover? Or you want to jump right into those those picks? Uh, we can start to dive in. One thing I'd end on for the tournament uh, progress from last year. I think we're literally two wins away. Where let's say they win two more games and lost every other game they played, I still think we make it into the tournament. So. That is still a positive thing, as crazy that sounds. Like, of course, UVA is not going to lose, like, two out of nine because, obviously, you have the 10 regular season and you have the one tournament game. But what that does mean is better than last year. We brought back pretty much the entire team. Um, the new faces have been great. Ben Vanderplas, Isaac McNeely, and Ryan Dunn. So it's crazy to see just those three new faces making a huge difference. And we'll get into our all-ACC teams. I think that will also shed some light as to why this team brought back a lot of the offense and is in a much better position than last year. But with that being said, um, that's what I'll end on for my side. Cool. Cool. Sounds good. So maybe we can kind of <clears throat> maybe we can kind of go one team at a time for each of us. So, like, I'll do first team. You give your first team. Then we'll each give our second teams, each give our third teams. At the end, we could talk about some honorable mentions if, if we want. There's probably a lot of honorable mentions because it's kind of tough settling on 15 players from across the league. But, yeah, uh, with that, I'll go ahead with my first team. So, for my first five, I have Tyree Appleby from Wake Forest. I have Armando Baycott from North Carolina. I have Blake Hinson from Pitt. I have Hunter Tyson from Clemson. And this was a tough one, that fifth slot. 
I almost went with a UVA player, but I ended up going with Isaiah Wong for Miami. So that's kind of my my first five. What are yours, Kari? Wow. I mean, if you tell by my uh, facial expression, you got me some surprises there. Um, so pretty much the exact same as you in a lot of ways. Armando Baycott, um, I have him as my player of the year. Uh, so obviously player of the year has to make first team. Um, not always true. My most improved player, Hunter Tyson. Uh, Clemson's the best team in the league right now. They have the best uh, record. So you have to have one of their guys in the first team. So Hunter Tyson definitely takes that spot. Uh, Tyree Appleby's scoring one of the top, I believe, after Saturday's games. I think he's still top three. Definitely still top five. But one of the top scorers in the league. And then on top of that, also leading the league in assists. So hard not to put him in that first team with how well that team's playing as well. And then I actually went with uh, Terquavion Smith, uh, <clears throat> scoring the ball at a really high clip, playing super well, has NC State in a really awesome position to secure an NCAA tournament spot, and then also perhaps even a double buy for the NCAA, excuse me, for the ACC tournament. So his play has been really incredible, and that's probably why he also is the ACC's best prospect, even including one-and-done players right now. So, And then I actually wrapped up with Armand Franklin. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty positive that the conference first-team awards are solely based on conference play. And if it's solely based on conference play, no one has played better than Armand Franklin in conference. He's been incredible on the board for UVA, been a lethal scorer, and then his three-point percentage, I'd have to double-check the numbers, but it's definitely above 40, could even potentially be above 50 um, at this point. So uh, I rounded out with Armand Franklin. Good picks. Yeah, so it looks like we had three of the same picks, and then sort of the differences were where I had Isaiah Wong and Blake Hinson. You had Terquavion Smith and Armand Franklin. Definitely love seeing Armand get the first-team shout-out. He's been great for us this year, so I'm by no means am I complaining, and I would certainly be thrilled to see him end the year first-team All-ACC. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the first team and where each of us stand. For my second team, the person who I had just off the first team who I almost picked instead of Isaiah Wong was Kihei Clark. So I had Kihei Clark, PJ Hall from Clemson, Kyle Filipowski from Duke, RJ Davis from UNC, and then Terquavion Smith from NC State. So I don't have Franklin yet, but I'll do a little foreshadowing and say I'm getting to him soon. But I did have Terquavion Smith, who you had on the first team. So how does yours differ, Kari? Yeah, so I think that brings us in balance. So you mentioned Turquavion Smith. You haven't mentioned Armand Franklin yet, which is okay with me. Um, <clears throat> as long as he's there somewhere. With my second team, I have Kihei Clark, RJ Davis, Isaiah Wong, Blake Henson, and then Kyle Flipowski, or Flipowski, you can never pronounce his last name. The extra I in there always throws me slightly off. Uh, but speaking for the UVA player, I think Kihei has been incredible this season. Um, we started off this podcast talking a lot about how this would be the season that Kihei proves the haters wrong. He's got a great low post game as a guard at 5'9", 5'10". Um, really a great leader out there, defensive stalwart, and he's been all those things and more. He's on his way to becoming UVA's all-time assist leader. He is our all-time wins leader. Um, just been really great for the program and just been super awesome. And this year he's been just electric shooting just under 40% from three, being able to score the ball, uh, plenty of highlights. I don't know why players still think they can do a spin move against Kihei Clark and keep the ball in the hand that's spinning away from it. He's just 
taking cookies out the cookie jar every single time someone tries to do that. Uh, so he's just been really fun and electric to watch. And I think the team has played really well under him. And even when he's not lighting up on the scoreboard, he's getting assists. He's second in the ATC in assist right now. Uh, so he's just doing a little bit of everything. I know I've been giving uh, Ben Vanderplaz that title of ultimate glue guy. Kihei Clark is definitely not a glue guy, but he is one of those guys that just impacts the game in so many ways where – Stat-wise, on my second team, he may not have all the stats of these other second teamers, but in terms of impact, he's been incredible, and he's also playing on the second-best team in the league right now from a record standpoint, so he's got to be there somewhere. Yeah, definitely like that pick, and Kihei has just been so consistent this year. I really don't feel like he's had a bad game all year, and I think Kihei's first four years, we definitely saw a little bit more highs and lows. This year, he's just been so incredibly steady and Really, yeah, I don't want to repeat myself, but I don't feel like he's had a bad game all year. He's, you know, second in the league in assists. He's shooting a good percentage from three. Um, so, yeah, definitely love what Kihei is giving us this year. And then to Terquavion Smith, um, I know you had him first team. I had him second. I would say he is the conference's leading scorer at this point, and as you mentioned, a big-time NBA draft prospect. What kept him off the first team for me was some inefficient percentages He's a bit of a volume shooter and doesn't really shoot at the highest rate. So that's kind of, although he leads the league in scoring, I didn't feel that he was the most efficient player. So that was kind of what kept him second team for me. Um, but between the two of us, Kari, I think we have nine out of 10 are overlap, at least in terms of being on either first or second. I believe you don't have Isaiah Wong yet, and I don't have Armand Franklin yet. Is that right? So I do have Isaiah Wong. So you mentioned Blake Henson for the first team and Isaiah Wong for the first team. I had um, Armand Franklin, and then I had Traquavion Smith. Uh, you had Smith in the second team, but you haven't brought up Armand Franklin yet. So we had both Kihei, we both had RJ, we both had uh, Kyle Kowalski, and then you had Traquavion, and then uh, who else okay. did you have for your second team? Who am I missing for your fifth person? Yeah, so it must be PJ Hall that you haven't gotten to PJ yet. Hall, yes, that's it. Okay. Okay. So all in all, we're, you know, we're pretty close, but we do have some differences. Um, so let's get to the third team. So I have Reese Beekman and Armand Franklin, both from UVA. So I have a UVA filled backcourt for the third team. I also have Justin Mutz from Virginia Tech. I kind of debated between Justin Mutz and um, Sean Padula because although they play very different positions, I was just focused on getting the the best five for this third team. And while Sean Padula has better scoring numbers, Justin Mutz, I just think is a great college basketball player. He'll get a few triple doubles here and there. He's just super efficient. So I went, I went with Justin Mutz and then to round it out, I have Joe Girard from Syracuse and I have Jordan Miller from Miami, who I feel is one of the league's more underrated players. Uh, I think he averages like 15 a game. He's a really good defender and shoots pretty good percentages as well. So, Beekman, Franklin, Mutz, Gerard, and Miller are my third team. All right, Sean Crow. We went 14 of 15 for teams matching up. So I also have Reese Beekman. Um, he's been electric this year, incredible on defense, really steady. Uh, I believe he leads the ACC in assist-to-turnover ratio right now. Um, number three in assist overall, uh, shooting close to 50% from beyond the arc. Uh, really been impactful in beating his man on offense, shooting really good percentages, and then also getting the assignment of guarding Beth Player. 
Uh, I know a lot of fans love to think of Reese Beekman as our best player. I think he's our most talented and NBA prospect ready, but I have him on the third team because I think Armand Franklin has been our best player this season and then Kihei Clark. And there's no shame in saying that Reese Beekman has been our third best player this year. That's not an insult to him in any way. It's just that I think these other two have really improved their game. And then I think it's honestly a three-headed monster. It's not that we have, like, Superman and then we have two other people supporting him. It's just that we have the Justice League in our backcourt and everyone's playing super awesome and really providing what they need to when their number's called upon. Uh, from there, P.J. Hall. He's played a really great year so far. Hunter Tyson just has been awesome for them, so it's hard to put P.J. Hall above Hunter Tyson even though he's probably the face of the program. Joseph Girard, absolute bucket getter, keeping Syracuse in some games that they really don't have any business being in. Justin Mutz, when you look at the numbers, you look at the way he plays, uh, just really, really impactful player. And then it's hard to find someone else to put a, above him in this team. And then <clears throat> based on your uh, punishment for Traquavion Smith, I think I know why this uh, next person will not be in your uh, all-ACC team. But... I know I know who you're going to say. I know who you're going to say. Can I say it for you? Go for it. There's no way it's not Caleb Love. It is Caleb Love. I think this man, although he needs to shoot better percentages. Uh, so for those listening, I grew up a huge UNC fan. This is not a biased pick. I think Arthur Davis is the better player recently. Caleb Love, as much as he puts up a lot of volume and shoots some pretty atrocious percentages, that man can will you to a NCAA championship game and lead you to a 15-point lead at half. He's just he's averaging 16 points a game. He isn't shooting it and not getting great numbers, but this UNC team, if you think about it, with the numbers they're putting up, he has to still himself be extremely talented for Armando Baycott to go out and average a double-double, RJ Davis to go and get his 16 points a game, and then Caleb Love to be very impactful as well. So is he the best decision-maker and then the best in terms of efficiencies? No, and I think that's why he's still at UNC is because those percentages have continued to struggle a bit. Um, he took a lot of steps forward his sophomore year, and I think it's taken some strides backwards this year. But that man is still a certified bucket getter. As Kyrie Irving, as Uncle Drew once said, this about getting buckets. And I think it was Bill Russell talking to Uncle Drew. But either way, the game's about buckets. Caleb Love might be the best bucket getter in the league behind Traquavion Smith, so I have to get him on my list. Yeah, I think – with Caleb Love, you could be looking at your next, like, Jordan Clarkson, your next uh, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams. He's definitely that type of microwave scorer um, that we could see in the NBA probably as soon as next year. Um, yeah, so I think 14 out of 15, the one player I had that you didn't was Jordan Miller. Um, but 14 out of 15, that's obviously very close. And I'll also say that I went with how I would vote. I didn't like necessarily go with what I thought was the most likely because I do think in reality you're probably right that Caleb Love will end up as one of these picks, but um, he's on the the wooden midseason top twenty five watch list. So that I don't <laughs> shock to see his name on there. I will ride UNC boys as much as possible, but Caleb Love making that wooden midseason list that was definitely not justified, and that is the beautiful part of basketball where the. Uh, Blue Blood brand name will get you some things that it wouldn't if you were at like a school like UVA or had to earn your earn your butt. Like just oh boy, that was a tough one to see. <laughs> well, seeing as I didn't have him on any of my three teams, I obviously agree. But yeah, these are kind of how how I would vote, but not necessarily what I think will happen. 
Um, obviously, honorable mention, you could probably go on forever. But just to say a few other people I considered, I did consider Caleb Love. I considered Sean Padula. I considered Burton from Pitt, uh, Norchad O'Meara from Miami, uh, Cameron Hildreth from Wake, Matthew Cleveland from Florida State, uh, Jeremy Roach from Duke, Jesse Edwards from Syracuse. Those were kind of some some names that I that I considered. We had some similar overlap with that. So some ones that um, I have that I didn't hear you mention. I have L. Ellis uh, from Louisville. Although Louisville has had an awful, awful season, he's still a top five scorer in the league. He does get assists. He turns the ball over way too much. Um, but maybe I'm a little biased with him being a Durham kid as well. But he's leading. He's like up there in scoring. He's getting assists. He's playing well himself. It's just that he doesn't really have much help around him. So. That's why he gets honorable mention. I'm sure someone's going to vote for him. And I also think he deserves to be thought of as a top player in the league. Just not really getting it done super well this year. Uh, you mentioned Burton. You mentioned Cleveland. You mentioned Edwards. Um, I had Chase Hunter on there. Once again, when you're the best team in the league, you got to get your guys on there. Um, you can't not have Clemson players in this. So I think Chase Hunter has been that third best player for them. Um, I know I have three UVA guys on there. I just think that the UVA players have played a step above how Chase Hunter has been this season, which is why they ended up on all <clears throat> all SEC teams. Chase Hunter did not. I do think out of this list, Chase Hunter probably would have been my next off of the honorable mention and on to an all ACC team. Uh, I also have, I didn't hear Jarkel Joyner from NC State from you. So that's someone that I have on my side. Um, I can never pronounce his last name, but Nate. Uh, uh, oh, Lashevsky from Notre Lashevsky. Dame. Yes, this must have, must have been how it felt like when Coach K first got to do trying to figure out how to pronounce his name. <laughs> um, did you mention Cameron Hildreth? I did, yep. yep. Okay. The other one, so this is, gets back to my point about I'm assuming that these player of the year and like all ACC teams are based off of conference play only. And if it is, it is impossible not to have Quentin Post mentioned in that all ACC uh, conversation a little bit. Mm-hmm. That man has been lighting it up at Boston College. Unfortunately, he is at Boston College, so that does not mean yeah. he is getting wins. But overall, numbers-wise and performance, he's looked really good. So that I rounded up my uh, all honorable mention. Yeah. So, Car, I did consider Quinton Post. I think he might have only played so far in, like, eight games this year. So nine. I didn't – Okay, nine. I didn't include him for that reason, just for not playing enough games. But I guess to your point, if – if all nine of those games have been in conference play, then maybe they that then maybe that strikes that argument. But yeah, yeah, he's definitely been good as well. So, so yeah. Um, anything else that you wanted to hit on? I think that's kind of to the to the end of of everything we had planned to talk about. I might put you on the fly then. So I know in the tweet we also did awards. Mm. Uh, so curious what you would do. I think we both can agree that Baycott's got to be Player of the Year, unless you disagree there. Yeah, for me, I would have it really close between him and uh, Tyree Appleby from Wake Forest, I think. I would be between those two. I'd, I'd probably slide with Baycott, but um, I think it's close. Got it. Who do you have for uh, Rookie of the Year? I, I thought hard about this to see if I could think of anyone else that deserves it, but I think it's got to go to uh, Ty Flipowski from uh, Duke. I'm probably still butchering that last name. I think it's Filipowski is my understanding. Filipowski. Oh, that make that flows up the tongue a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Off the top of my head, I don't want to egregiously forget anyone, but um, yeah, I think I, I think I would probably go Filipowski as well. 
All right. Coach of the year. It's got to be Brad Brownell. Um, Clemson was not expected to be where they are so far. He's got a great program. The strides that those players have made. Like, if you look at some of their splits between last season and this season, it is the most insane jumps I think I've ever seen. Like, the recipe and their success makes a lot of sense. You brought back a lot of talent. You brought back your best player, and you got a good transfer. But when you show me the numbers for how much of a jump each of those players made, it is just astronomical, and I think a lot of that has to go to coaching. Um, Obviously, the players work hard in the offseason. They do a lot to improve themselves and do what they can. But when all five guys in your lineup are, like, just having career years like that, something's got to be going on in that locker room where the coach has had a big impact. So Brad Brunell is definitely my vote for Coach of the Year. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because I feel like Brad Brownell has been on the hot seat for like like seven years yeah. now, and he he, yeah. so, he somehow never gets fired. But um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, I would have to agree with you that he probably deserves it. I would say like a few others to consider. You'd have to consider Jeff Capel, I think, because I think I don't know what their preseason ranking was in the uh, preseason poll, but I don't think anyone thought that Pitt would be anywhere near this good. Um, And then I've not really typically been too big of a Kevin Keats guy, but I do think he probably deserves some recognition as well. Um, NC State's definitely better than I thought, but, but yeah, I would, in the end, I would still go with uh, Brad Brownell as well, but don't, don't, don't sleep on Tony either, but I'll go Brownell. I won't sleep on Tony, but UVA was picked to finish third with six first-place votes. So we actually had more first-place votes than anybody not named UNC. Clemson was projected to finish 11th. Pitt was projected to finish 14th. So you have uh, two teams in the uh, bottom third of the league definitely climbing their way back up. So unless Clemson or Pitt stubbed their toe, usually the Coach of the Year award isn't really about the coaching. It's more of who did the most with the least or what the media thought would be the least. So uh, – it feels like it's kind of Capel's and Brownell's uh, award to lose at this point. Uh, Sean, who are you going with for defensive player of the year? Yeah, so I would, I think I would probably have it narrowed down to the same two people that I am guessing that you would have it narrowed down to, and and that's uh, Reese and Leaky Black. I would vote for Reese Beekman, but the top fifteen like uh, wooden defensive player of the year list came out and Leaky Black was the only ACC player on it. So if that's any indication, Leaky Black might be the favorite at this point, but I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction, and if I had a vote to cast, I would cast it for Reese Beekman. Yeah, I mean, I get that he's on his awards, and like a lot of the UNC guys get the benefit of the UNC brand name. I like that win-loss record. Like They're both the best defensive player on their team, and they both play really elite lockdown defense. One team's taken some losses. One team hasn't taken that many. So, I mean, if, if I had to chalk it up, it seems like Reese has had a bigger impact on shutting down top guys compared to Leaky Black's lockdown defense. Both phenomenal defenders. Both should be, like, on that all-defensive team that the ACC puts out as well. Just kind of when I factor in records and who's had, like, to shut down more things. I thought about kind of some of UNC's losses where they fall into hot streaks like a Carson – Gill or Carson Grill, whatever Iowa State's uh, player was. They've just had some collapses where they've had guys just get really hot. So I think I got to slide Kihei. Or should be not Kihei. I want to slide Kihei on this, but uh, this one I got to give to Reese. Good, good pick. I would say if I, if I had to pick like a big man defender, 
I've been pretty impressed with uh, Federico from Pitt. He's kind of snatching up rebounds and, and getting a lot of blocks. So wouldn't surprise me to see him on the all-defensive team. But I do think the defensive player of the year is probably a two-horse race between Beekman and uh, and uh, Leaky Black. So, so yeah, is that all the picks, or was there any, any other categories we missed? We got two more awards. Um, most improved player. I think this is an easy Hunter Tyson. I don't think there's anyone else it could go to when you go from, like, solid numbers to being a top scorer in the league and also averaging a double-double. Uh, the jump was astronomical. I don't think it could go to anyone else but him, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think that's a good pick. Um, maybe Jamarius Burton at Pitt would be another to consider, but I would go with Hunter Tyson as well. Yeah, And the last one, if UVA does not make any tweaks to the lineup, my vote for sixth man of the year would have to change. But I actually had Ben Vanderplaas as sixth man of the year because for the majority of the ACC schedule so far, he has come off the bench. So as of now, I believe he still qualifies for that sixth man of the year award. And if Tony does make another tinker and Shedrick comes back into the starting lineup, or we figure out another lineup, or maybe for Ryan Dunn with uh, Gardner out there, or Ryan Dunn and Shedrick, he's got a lot of pieces to play with. But either way, Ben Vanderplaas, I think, is my sixth man of the year as long as he qualifies for it at the moment. Yeah, I'll be honest and say that I don't really have a good pulse of like who all the six mans are out there. Like if I looked at each team, I could jog my memory, but I won't disagree with you. I'll go with Vanderplas, but I might need to do a more thorough analysis to, to uh, stick by that pick. It makes you feel better. It's not as obvious as it was in previous years where you have like a Florida state with a Matthew Cleveland. That's just absolutely killing it. Um, this season felt pretty tough. Like even going through rosters, like UNC doesn't really play like a true six man. Duke has some options. I just don't know who the sixth man is because they still don't even know who their starting lineup is. So uh, you got a lot of people you could go with. Gotcha. Hey, Car, one one thing I just remembered. I'll go ahead and give uh, Casey Morsell an honorable mention shout out as well. I think he's he's had a pretty good year at NC State. So just thought I'd throw that in there at the end. All right. Shout out to a former who I'm glad his jump shot finally is starting to fall. Just wish it could have started to fall a few years earlier for us. Yep. No doubt. Cool. Well, we're 10 games in halfway through the ACC season. We're number seven in the nation right now. A good note for us to get out of here on is Sean. What do you think is the ceiling halfway point checking in? What is our current ceiling again for end of season, whether that's ACC titles, accolades, and then also NCAA tournament. Yeah. So ACC ceiling, I think there kind of is no ceiling. Like, I think ACC regular season and ACC tournament champions are, are both within reach. So that would be my league ceiling. For NCAA tournament ceiling, I would probably say a two seed. I just think, um, although I think the ACC is better than it's being given credit for, I think with how the non-conference went, it would be really tough to see an ACC team climb up to a one seed. So I think I would have an NCAA two seed as kind of our national ceiling. All right. The most I think I agree, had to hit it with the uh, old UNC quote. What is it? Like the ceiling is the roof. Uh, What an awesome quote by Michael Jordan Uh, did not make a lick of sense and needed a little bit of explanation, but the ceiling is the roof for UVA this year. So I think uh, winning the ACC definitely should be right around what I expect from them. And then being able to walk away with that, I think ceiling-wise for us, if we continue to play at a high level, play where we have been playing, 
I think getting right there at that two seed line is what I'd expect to be our ceiling. Um, we need a little bit of craziness to secure that final number one seed. But outside of that, in terms of overall performance, I'd say this team is probably at its ceiling an elite eight level team. We need some more of the ACC to step up. But when we've played some of the top competition like Houston, you could tell there was a pretty big tier and not like a, Oh, you didn't belong to that court, but the way Houston played versus how we played and we were playing a pretty solid game ourselves. There was a clear difference in like, this is a championship contender and a final four contender versus we're still trying to break into that upper echelon. So a few more things for us to figure out and get together. But I do think right now elite eight is our ceiling. Yeah, I would say I would probably have our ceiling is like making it to the final four. I would say the elite eight is like what I would predict as of today, but, but yeah, definitely, you know, hard to disagree with what you said. And, and yeah, I think I'd probably say that Purdue, Houston, and Alabama are like a pretty clear top three. And then after that, there's maybe a bit of a difference. But that being said, Alabama just took a, a big loss to Oklahoma by like 25 or something. So it's always a toss up in college basketball. So you never really know until you get to the tournament. True. All right, man. Well, good one for us to end on for those listening uh we will at some point figure out this cadence we know it's not gonna be a monthly podcast at this point it's probably not a weekly podcast either but we'll get it in there and make sure you guys are having a good time but with that being said uh for those listening please feel free to give us a rating on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, anchor honestly wherever you're listening feel free to rate it Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you want to hear. And for everyone, have a great day. Have a great start to the year. And then as always, go Hoos. Go Hoos.